things we're devoted to, the resilient we're devoted to, no matter what. People you're devoted to even when it's hard. People you're devoted to even when there's, there's tension or relational strife. And those simple two words we have in that teaching text, we have, there's a lot under those two words. People from all different sorts of backgrounds, all different sorts of lifestyles, they don't have kids the same age, they don't like the same hobby or vote in the same way. It was this mess of people brought together by Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but they were devoted to each other. And what I want to dig into today is what it looks like when we actually mask those two words together, what it actually looks like when we are devoted to each other, because I think this is something that is quite rare in our time, in our place. So if you have your Bible, open up with me, head over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus' like manifesto for life in the kingdom. It is this beautiful, epic, sort of run-on sermon from Jesus about what it truly means to follow him and be changed by him. And there's a lot of really uh, common and beautiful passages in here that are probably familiar to us yet, but sometimes it hurts in our lives. These are the Beatitudes, the salt and light, between anger or, or lust, divorce, loving your enemies, maybe to the needy, the Lord's prayers in there. But there's a paragraph that maybe has seemed confusing to you, and it seems confusing to me at times, and it's maybe one of those things that we like to read a little bit faster through. Because it doesn't seem like it has like some nuggets of gold like the Lord's Prayer. It's like, ah, uh, yeah, I don't really understand what this one's about, but I'm going to keep going. And after you chapter 5, starting in verse 33, Jesus talks about oaths. Is it weird to you that this is included in the most famous sermon of all time? The most famous talk and teaching by Jesus? He's talking about oaths? Let's read it. And starting in verse 33, Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, he's doing that interpretation thing again, he's bringing this kingdom lens to something that has been so familiar, especially to religious people. So, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more, this comes from evil. Jesus is talking about oaths. Which, does that strike you as strange? It strikes me as really weird. And so I've dug into this a little bit more. Until I was thinking and praying for you guys, our two churches, as we're talking about community. And that last line from Jesus, let what you say be simply yes or no. For anything more is from evil. Other translations say anything more is from evil. What Jesus is getting at here is that if you use an oath this in involving or invoking God's name or other things like it, the truth of our own statements. If we are using an oath, we're implying that our word on its own is not trustworthy. So why else do you need to appeal to something or someone else when you're serious? Jesus says, instead, disciples, you're not to swear an oath at all. 
Instead, your character should be of such integrity that the words can be believed without any external undergrowth. That your yes and your no are good enough because the life needs itself. Because the need to reinforce our common yes or no is from the evil one because it undermines our God-given truthfulness and honesty. Jesus here is talking about integrity. Now, why are we talking about oaths and integrity on the week that we're supposed to be talking about fellowship and community and being devoted to each other? Well, because we're going to talk about today one of the most harmful postures and actions in community. You ready? Flakiness. Flakiness and a lack of commitment is a community destroyer. And in our time and our place, it is one of the things that damages community most. I've been in church ministry for a long time. Uh, not as long as some of you guys in the room, so you can maybe agree with me here. I've seen a lot of church hurt. I've seen spiritual abuse. I've seen really wretched stuff. But from a quantity standpoint, the number one thing that kills churches is thinking. The last minute there. The lack of commitment. Other people relying on you and letting them down. Now, a lot of us don't relate honesty and integrity to pulling on commitments, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist, does it, to see here that not honoring a commitment, not being faithful, flaking out is a compromise of our integrity. It says we can't be trusted. It says our word is not as good. And the reason we get towards flakiness is that we live in a commitment-phobic culture. Like, commitment-phobia is the status quo. So this is not even an abnormal thing. This is just like normal day-in, day-out business. And it comes, I think, I believe, with the rise of really the digital revolution over the last few decades. So think of it this way, like, up until uh, maybe like 10 years ago, you would never text message someone to tell them you're dating on something. And this daily culture that we have exposes a deep lack of empathy. Because if I have to tell Matt to his face or call him up on the phone that I'm not able to make this appointment that we made, I have to interact with him at some level. I have to show some empathy to him. I have to say, I'm sorry, this other thing came up, I double schedule or whatever. But if I just send a text message and say, I'm not going to make it, I'll have to see the Flakiness is one of the really easy examples of what the New Testament calls the world. Look at the world around you. Everyone's place. It's normal. What's more abnormal is actually show up when you say you're going to show up and do the thing you said you were going to do without prompting, without reminder, without confirmation. Everybody flakes. And it appeals to your flesh. It's the easier thing, not the harder thing. What's easier? Showing up to church when you're tired? Or just staying home and touching the sermon on the podcast? Yeah. What's easier? What's easier? Yeah, say go. Try to rock the Say go. Easier to stay home. For sure. What's easier? Showing up to your community night when you have like a really long day, your boss yelled at you, you just feel emotionally drained, and you're like, I just need a night. Like, what's easier? Showing up in community or just saying, hey guys, I'm really tired, I'm going to hang out. What's easier? 100% easy. 
for the iPhone, but it certainly looked a lot different. And I think it has ramped up quite a bit. In this phenomenal book, Analog Kids, author Jay Kim says this, quote, The digital age's technological advances was three major contributions to the improvement of human experience, which in turn have become its undeniable values. Number one, speed. We have access to what we want, when we want, as quickly as our fingers can guide and scroll. This morning, as I was uh, having gas on the way here, um, and I pulled up to the, to the gas station, my car was on empty, and I pulled up to the gas station, it was maybe like uh, 630 or something, and I uh, put my credit card in, I put a little nozzle in my car, and then nothing was happening. And, and I needed to be like, freak out. Because in the course of five seconds, the process that was supposed to work was not working. So I like put it back. I said, "Let me to like another pump that wasn't working." And so I like marched up to the little guy behind the glass. I was like, "Hey, these pumps aren't working." He's like, "Oh yeah, they just opened their getting started. It's taking a couple of minutes." And in my head, I went, "Are you crazy? Don't you know I need gas right now?" And he's just sitting there going, "Like, no, it's just stuff. It's all up." The same morning, right when I was leaving that place, I got a text message from, from James, and, uh, and I wanted to like, respond to it. But then they got, they got one of those little like messages did not be sent by again later. So what is going on? Like open my game up, and I get the email. I go to the internet, and I type in the website, and I get like freaked out. My phone is not connected to the internet. This useless brick in my pocket is not doing all the things it's supposed to do. Now, in the course of like a minute and a half, I like restart my phone, I turn it off, I turn it back on, I do all these things because I needed to be connected back. I cannot imagine a time in my life where I would have gone through all of that within the span of five minutes. Because I've been so trained by technology to get these things immediately. And if I don't get a response from an email server or a text message or an internet, immediately something is wrong. And if I don't get gas pumping out of my pump and into my car, immediately something has to be wrong. And not only something wrong, but I'm a bit of So number one speed. Number two, choices. We have access to an endless array of options when it comes to just about anything. I had an old mentor about 10 years ago say, I, I asked him, I always tell you big questions. I was like, what's the number one, you know, thing, what's the number one thing that's facing Christian today? What's the number one issue? His response, choices. Christians did not have this many choices up until the last couple hundred, maybe a couple of decades, maybe a hundred years. Think about your choice in church. hundred years ago, you went to the church, you could walk to it. That was closest. There was no choice. That was the church that was closest to the house you walked to it. Think about the choice if you're trying to buy something. We have some of our best friends that are like buying a new car, they need to replace the car. The choices are endless. There are now apps that will let you order your car and bring it right to your house. And if you don't like it, you can send it back. It's crazy. Three, individualism. Everything from online profiles to gadgets is endlessly customizable, allowing us to emphasize our preference and our personality. Which is why if I pick up your iPhone, it's not even going to feel like an iPhone to you because it's going to be so personalized to your experience. If you look at my iPhone, it's going to be so customized to my own preference and to my own experience. Now, these are not inherently bad things in and of themselves, but taken to their extreme, they become really dangerous 
trying to say, the speed of the digital age has made us impatient. The choices of the digital age have made us fallible. The individualism of the digital age has made us Impatient, shallow, isolated. Stemming from speed, choices, individualism. Do you think those things are going to positively or negatively impact community and the church? Am I alone in thinking that they're going to be really negative impacts? These are going to be dangerous and harmful to the church community. Because if I don't get what I want immediately, I'm annoyed, I'm impatient. If I have a lot of choices, that means a bank says something to me that I don't like, I just need to show up next time I'm going to go to another church. That means if the sermon isn't good enough, I'm going to go somewhere where the sermon is good. The music's not good enough, I'm going to go somewhere where the music is good. Individualism, where everything's committed to your preference and your personality. That's going to mean there are going to be things that happen here when we gather together, things that happen when we scatter the smaller things that you don't agree with, that you don't like, that aren't your preference, that you don't like the music that's playing when you watch it, that you don't like the song choices, you don't like the preacher, whatever it is. You say, well, it's not customized to my preference, I'm going to go somewhere else. Or, even more dangerous, when nowhere is customized to my preference, so I'm going to stay home and curate my own church. I'm going to pick the albums I really like, listen to the preachers that move me and inspire me, and give to organizations that I think are doing good. And that's my church. Speed, choices, individualism, causing us to be commitment-phobic with the church. Because, what if something better comes in? I can't connect here. What if I find out about a better church? I can connect to, to these people because what if there are cooler people that come along? Community is hard because it asks something of you. First of all, it asks you to come and die. To come and die to yourself, to your own preferences, to know that as you step into the room for a Sunday gathering, as an example, you're not going to be the center of attention. I'm not going to be the center of attention. Not everything's going to be perfectly curated to make me this last year over COVID, community has been very hard. Those of you who have been a part of either Arise or Anthem over this past year have mourned with us those people who have left. Some for good reasons, some for not great reasons. People who have displaced you. People who moved away and never said anything. People who just stopped saying Because community is hard. Community is hard under the best circumstances. Here's the truth. Showing up when you want, how you want, is not community. It's consumerism. It's shocking. It's curating another experience totally for you. And at the end of the day, this is not because it hurts my feelings or these feelings. But at the end of the day, this is a conversation about how we love it. Because if you think about that person up top, your most faithful friend, that's one of the ways you are loved by them. They're dependable. They're faithful. They're there when you need them and there when you don't. If you call, they're going to pick up. If you make an appointment, they're going to show up. And whether you put language to it or not, 
talking for the most of the We're needed and valued. Will there be times you're sick or out of town or on vacation or other responsibilities? Like, of course, those things come up, but so often we make the exception the rule instead of agreeing to a commitment together. This is learning to honor one another above yourself. So, you can err on the side of impeccable integrity and over-communication, even if you did not explicitly say, I will do that. Number five. Yes, Captain? How to cancel better. How to cancel better. Don't text ever to cancel anything. Don't text ever. And I know this is probably speaking to maybe those who are under the age of 40 a little bit more. So if you are advanced in years, bear with me and know that you can, like, help shepherd us in this direction. Don't ever text the cancel things. Call. Let them know you're taking this seriously. Once again, you are 100% in control of and responsible for not only what you say, but what you do with your time. So don't blame other things. If you commit and you break that commitment, you're responsible. Now, emergency is notwithstanding, of course, let's not break the exception of the rule. As a rule, you are responsible for what you do with your time. So if you're bailing on something, if you need to cancel, take responsibility, apologize, repent if necessary, don't defer responsibility to excuses. Oh, I totally forgot. Oh, you know what? I forgot I had this other thing. I just ran out of time. Guys, I don't get the same amount of time you we are 100% in control of what we do with it. Number six, learning to live with grace because none of us will get this right all the time. We will all mess up. We will all blow this a lot. We all make mistakes. We'll never do this perfectly. So there is grace in the community of God. But grace is not a free pass, as Paul says. Right? Grace is not a free pass. Know the people around you will let you down and know you'll let them down. But there is a way forward to grow in our maturity. So when you mess up, when you bail, when you text cancel at the last minute, own up to it. Ask for forgiveness. Be accountable to change and get better in the future. When someone messes up and it affects you, Hold them accountable. You know, we're not talking about, like, judgment and shame here, but hold them accountable. Tell them, hey, Matt, we need to fail on that thing I was really putting on you. It really messed up some other plans and it hurt. Hold them accountable. But also, forgive them. Because none of us are perfect. And we all need to experience forgiveness regularly. To everybody, recognize and celebrate faithfulness you see in others. Alper and his wife Celeste are some of the most faithful people we know. They've been in our backyard community all throughout COVID. He helps with computer, and he's here, even if I don't know he's going to be here. He is still a faithful community. And even though they have the sign on the dotted line saying, I will be here every single Sunday, you know what they do? They let me, they give me a heads up. If you're going to be out of town, I don't know if they're still in Recognize and celebrate faithfulness. You see it other people. And finally, seventh and common best practice in light of this. And maybe this is particularly 
community will always be analog. It will always be incarnated. It will always be face-to-face and in-person. Digital might be a nice supplement. Right? A text group for your community is beautiful. A little group chat going on is awesome. It's never replacing it for actually face-to-face, in-person community. Digital will never be big enough to continue your digital church. It will always be limited. One of the primary things we use in a digital space, we've seen this in the Facebook comments and the YouTube comments and the Twitter and everything else, is empathy is missing from all those things. Because you never have to look somebody in the eye and feel what they're feeling. You can just say your thing and then log off. You can write it all caps and then get out of here. So the kid wants to be able to hear this book, so it says this about empathy. Quote, the human connection is fueled by empathy, the God-given ability to step into one another's shoes and open ourselves up to another's story. Not to compare and contrast, but to be overwhelmed by compassion. To use Paul's words to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. This requires patience, depth, and the risk of stepping into real community with real people and their real lives in real time and in real space. Things that might get messy. At their best, social media and other digital spaces can be wonderful initiating spaces that lead to true human connection, but they can never become a home for those connections. They'll always fall short and leave us wanting. And maybe that's the best part of, of digital spaces like social media, like texting, like email, like FaceTime, like Zoom, is it grows your appetite for the real thing. It grows your appetite for the animal. I do a little bit of travel, and I like to bring share bring the things whenever I can, but often I have to go to places where I'm not going to be able to bring them. And, and you know the best thing about the last 10 years or so has been? FaceTime. It's magical. I love it. All my family lives in the Bay Area. We only get to see them a few times a year. We FaceTime in the bus. Once Terry family lives outside of Sacramento, we can FaceTime them a bunch. It's beautiful. But FaceTime is not a replacement for me being with my kids. Just because I can FaceTime them from South Africa does not mean I don't ever have to see them in person again. You know what it does? It grows my appetite to see them. I love the Barry said. It grows my longing to be with them. It just lets my whistle for the real thing. That's digital at its best, increasing our appetite for the real thing. Digital community is at its worst and most dangerous when it's the only thing. But it can be helpful. We must never lose our appetite for the real thing. True incarnational community and connection is by empathy and There is no replacement for it. In the world of church online and online transparency of useful technologies and tools, we've all had to embrace. One of the things I love about our church and I love about your church arise is together we can say, it's a temporary holdover. Because there's something, remember that first week you guys here, June 6th, we had the first week, it's the first time we said I had a large gathering and a really, and it was just a, like we could have done nothing that day. It just we in a room together and it would have been beautiful. It's something about being together. But Zoom will never replace it. A live stream, I'm so glad we're able to help you who are traveling and maybe stay home for COVID reasons, but it will never replace the gift. We must never lose our appetite for the real thing. Without the real thing, obeying Jesus and growing 
complete by itself. We can't grow in apprentice to Jesus without anybody else in our lives. A consistent pattern of those who are trying to grow in Jesus but will never commit to a local church is stuckness. Because you're never going to be challenged, never going to grow, you're never going to have to be in a room with people who are older than you or younger than you or dress differently or vote differently. You always perfect the curated community around you and thus never have to change. One of the most famous preachers, Charles Sprint, and I think that's where this will be born, it's worth sharing again, said this about church and community. Sprint said this, quote, Close yourself to the church. You that are members of the church, and if you have found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined the church till I found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment that I did join, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. Then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. There are all sorts of reasons to break out, to fail, to disappear, to ghost. Some of those are valid, but Carlos and to others. Some of us are walking the deep limits because of church community. Many of them are not valid. Many of them are quite selfish. But here's the truth. Community is hard. Commitment, faithfulness, integrity, honesty. These are hard. It's been a hard year to stick with the community. Between a global pandemic, I think you A global pandemic, a contentious election, moment after moment after moment of mass shootings, of racial injustice, those could go on. And I don't know what you personally believe or think or interpret in any one of those things that you stuck with your community. I may have said something you're not agree with this last year. You may have said something you're not agree with in this last year. You may think you guys are really rough You just had to have a hard, honest conversation. Well done. That stuff's hard. You know what's easier? Peace out. Just leave it. That's it. Community on my terms is easy. But we're not called to easy in Scripture, are we? We're called to its best, what we are created and designed for. Community, biblical community, is where that feeling takes place. Because we will not grow and feel isolation or community on my terms, but in an honest, vulnerable, accountable, faithful community full of grace and truth. Church is what the ever customizable, carefully curated, and personal and, and personalized world of social media and online platforms can never be. This can never be replicated in an online platform. The church is community built on commitment over and above compatibility of pieces. The church is family. It's basic hard. Is what the to each other. 
even when it's easy. There may be all sorts of reasons for not wanting to show up. And I don't want to downplay legitimate reasons that may make it hard or anxious for one to engage with the medical first community. But it's never okay to compromise our integrity by just by flaking, by not communicating, and asking everyone always to bend around your interests and preference. That's as I value myself as a leader. The early church, thankfully, shows us a different way. They devoted themselves to each other. Things are going to get real hard for the early church in a few chapters. They devoted themselves to each other. It's going to be disagreement. Peter and Paul. Top of the church teaching, disagreeing about really key things, but still devoted to each other. People are going to be killed, slain, persecuted, but still going to be devoted to each other. They were devoted to each other. And it's a model and it's an example for us. Once again, in John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you will offer to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. the gospel truth in that text. As we prepare the response, Jesus loves you. He's committed to you. He's not backing away. He knows the deepest, darkest part of you is committed to you. Reliably faithful in your life. Never let you go. Consistent, committed. He's not afraid of humanity. He loves you. We love each other like Jesus loves us. Full of grace and truth. Confrontation and repentance where needed. But faithful, committed. Because that's the love we've been shown. So we show that kind of love. The world's knowledge of Jesus rides on how we do. One of the most evangelistic things we can do as a church community is to love each other Because we can go out and pass out water bottles, we can treat the homeless, we can do all the good things we can do in Victoria. But if they walk in this door and we're not loving each other, what's the point? If we're loving each other. Generous, self-sacrificial love for one another. In a time and a place, starves for real community. That is going to be like water on Not only is it going to be appealing and compelling, but it's going to communicate something about Jesus to them, to that watching world. Jesus loves you. We love each other like Jesus loves us. And the world's knowledge of 